Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Detroit Pistons on the wrong side of history. Their 27th consecutive loss sets an NBA record. Nobody wants something like this attached to them. I love these lazy Saturdays. It's Wednesday on Work! Hello, sports fans. Welcome to the morning show. Merry Christmas to you. Happy New Year's on the way. Everything you want from a morning. It's the Halford and Bruff show. It's everything you want in the morning show, except for Halford and except for Bruff. Brooke Ward digging in heels this morning. Josh Elliott Wolf riding shotgun. Hello, Josh Elliott Wolf. Hello. Good Christmas after Christmas morning to you. There's an A-Dog. There's a laddie here. Good morning. Morning. Hello, hello. That's A-Dog and laddie. That's Batman and Robin of the Halford and Bruff show. They are... Discussing now amicably with weapons behind the scenes, which one is Batman, which one is Robin, Josh Elliott, who's Batman? You know what? I I was gonna weigh in, but yeah. I don't want to like l- them to lose faith in me this early in the week. I always found Batman and Robin were of equal quality, although Batman seemed to think he was a, a bigger deal. A dog. As long as there are tights involved, I'm fine. As long as there's tights involved, I feel like that makes you Robin then. Oh, okay. They, I mean, Batman, Batman has tights. And he's also a secret billionaire. So I think oh. and he's got the Batman. Okay. This is true. I just do this for fun. Man, <laughs> man. Well, you work the hardest. You, too, work the hardest in the show. It's easier. Much easier. Just flip on the mic and ask you guys what to do. Josh Elliott, Christmas was good for you? It was great. How was your Christmas? It was swell, man. I'm glad it's over because it's back-to-back dinners. Sometimes you get the New Year or the uh, Christmas Eve dinners. You get the mm-hmm. Christmas Day dinners. So two in a row is a lot for me. You? I, I had the three in a row. You're the, the dreaded na- three well, in a row. The I, natural hat trick of yeah. Christmas dinners. The Christmas Eve. Uh, Christmas Day and then Boxing Day. We had uh, family over last night wow, as well. Man. So it is, it's intense. How's that I'm, family on Boxing Day rate though? They're thinking, well, they did not get the invite on Christmas Eve. They got, it's a sore spot. It is. It's a sore spot. It's a tough one. They got pushed it, out a little bit. And then it's like, we got so many people, we just didn't have time for you, but your Boxing Day quality, a eh, dog? Christmas, everything cool. It was yeah, lot, I got lots of cereal. I was very happy. Lots of cereal. Yeah, that's all I asked for. Oh, okay. I got a big cardboard cereal box guy. Full of cereal. Big cereal guy. Laddie, I want someone to say mine sucked bad. I was around family. It was like it was well, terrible. It was, for me, it was less about me and more about my two year old daughter. Oh, okay. Had a great time. Okay. Tell us you hate your family. <laughs> you Laddie win. only celebrates Festivus. Yes, <laughs> well, he wins with the two year old daughter though. You got to go. Does. Oh, that's yeah. pretty good. He had a great time. That's awesome. All this shiny baubles and what? Yeah, I'm just being nice. I mine, mine sucked. I was at family on the 24th. I was with family on the 25th. I don't like family. It was terrible. Good thing they love me, but it was good feeding. It was good food. I brought- Is it just the airing of grievances for like three straight hours? Like, do you guys just yell at each other? I just or- find them annoying. Okay. Yeah. No, they seemed to all get along. You're very honest about it. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, well, they're not up. <laughs> they're not up this <laughs> early in the listening. morning. We could talk as much crap about our family at 7 a.m. as we want. That's as true. Want. My family, anyway. Nobody's up. and uh, But I just, I, maybe it's frowned upon. I take takeout with me, take out boxes with me to the dinner. 
And then they kind of know ahead of time that this guy's going home with a gift package. So maybe that's frowned upon when you come in with takeout. Kind of seems like the move, honestly. That's a good move. I have to implement that in the future. Veteran move. Veteran move, yeah. I don't know. And then you take in your like your your takeout cups. Mm-hmm. That's more important, too. They don't even see you. You just load up with whatever. <laughs> it's usually good alcohol at these things, not the cheap stuff. It all worked out anyway. I'm glad it all worked out for you guys as well. Uh, Josh Elliott is here. A-Dog and Laddie, you know they're here, of course. I was waiting for another bark. Didn't get one, but I'm new here. Uh, there is no for There's no broth. It's fix. only one bark off the top. We don't have a budget for more. It's than just one, one just bark one only. Bark, yeah. Copyright infringement. And it's uh, Josh Elliott, A-Dog, Laddie, and I here for the rest of the week from 7 till 10 before the boys you really want to hear come back next week. What happened coming up in a minute? Nick Shook, NFL.com, later on. Boy, the Seahawks. The Seahawks are at a playoff position. There's other issues going around the league. We'll talk about those, too. Sean McIndoe, the Athletic, coming up later on the program, the 8 o'clock hour. World Juniors, well in vogue. Canada has Latvia at 10.30 this morning Pacific time after winning yesterday and uh, beat the Finns 5-2. to two. More on that coming up as we cruise along. Batch will be here. Bachelor, Mr. Brendan of Bachelor will be with us at 9 o'clock this morning. The Canucks will be back in action very shortly as well. More on that coming up. NHL action kicking back into gear today. Canucks hosting Philadelphia tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Ottawa on Tuesday, then it's a seven-game road trip, and you're going to learn a lot about the hockey club during that seven-game road trip starting in early January, that's for sure. What we learned also coming up later on in the program as well, is it time for what happened? Because I don't know how early they get into what happened. I feel like we gotta we got to pay some bills first. Okay, pay so, some bills. Uh, this hour of Halford & Bruff brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal, North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid, 1170 Powell Street. And it's also brought to you by the Delory family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delory difference today. Visit your nearest Delory Acura dealer today. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What happened? Also brought to you by, you might have said this already, but I'm going to do it again in case you did. I wasn't listening. The BC Construction Safety Alliance, did you do that already? I didn't do it. You can do it. Okay, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, the best in resources, the best in safety training. Visit bccsa.ca for more information. I allow you, Mr. Josh Elliott, to go first. What have we learned? Uh, So, yeah, what happened on the weekend was... um, (laughs) The Canucks won on Saturday. That was like a long time ago, too. It's Wednesday today. I still have to use the fan blogger of the intro, though, because this is our first show since that game. Yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah. Um, but the last time the Canucks played, they won. They are first in the NHL um, by Drance metrics. They are second in points percentage right now, though. Um, the third line, still buzzing. Andre Kuzmenko scored twice. Things are uh, things are going really well for the Canucks right now, and as you mentioned, they're back in action tomorrow against the Flyers at Rogers Arena. Um, it was nice to nice to end go into the break with a win, first in the NHL. You know nobody's going to touch it for a few days because they're all on Christmas break, but um, really encouraging. I thought it was a a decent game. It's like. It's kind of the one you have to win whenever you play San Jose, but we also saw the Canucks lose to San Jose uh, just a few weeks ago. But 
decent game. Three of four against San Jose, I think, this year. And they do like to air them out and score goals. And the Sharks, uh, in the spirit of giving at this time of year, although they've been doing it all year and will continue into 2024, they like to give up goals. That seems to be what they like to do. So seven more for the Canucks the other night. I think one into the empty net. But uh, the Coos two goals... Huge for him. One off the rush again. And finally, and I haven't seen a lot of this from him him this year, down low. Mm -hmm. Uh, He tipped one in that I will consider and I'll gift him up down low because he was scoring so many goals last year from just outside the blue paint. That's an area that he's been allergic to this year, it Mm -hmm. looks like. So for him to actually get a couple and get one going to the net an area he doesn't seem to like to hang around a lot this year, that's one of the big differences with him for me. Never mind confidence in being parked and what Tockett might be doing with him. He's getting power play time, and he's on the perimeter in the power play as scheduled. But when he is 5-on-5 out there, he has been on the perimeter and a perimeter player. To me, Josh, he has to go back to the blue paint area. He chipped in. There weren't even garbage goals necessarily last year, but he chipped in a lot from about 10 feet out, an area... He has not gone to with great regularity this season. And especially because, like, his role kind of has to be playing with Elias Pettersson. And if you're going to be playing with Elias Pettersson, Pettersson's going to have the puck a lot. And if you can find your way, to your point, to the blue paint, he's going to be able to find you and and put you in a spot where you're going to be able to score. And we saw it 39 times last year when um, Kuzmenko was able to score a lot of goals down low parked in front of the net and we just haven't seen it a lot this year he seems one thing we talked about a lot before the season was we kind of need to see him shoot more in general and we didn't really we haven't seen that come to fruition yet one thing i did like on saturday is he seemed very willing and ready to shoot and he seemed to want the puck which i don't think he's wanted in a few weeks see i think he always wants the puck pick the zone Pick the zone he's in. He's got the beaver tail slapped down, wanting the puck all the time. That's one of Tockett's criticisms when he's coming back in on on defense. Or not Tockett's criticism. That has been a criticism of him. He's coming back on D. He's not checking. He's slapping his stick on the ice, wanting the puck. I see him do that all the time in the offensive zone as well. Often after he just dishes it. He'll dish it. It's not even If he's throwing it to Pedersen, it's not on Pedersen's tape yet. And he's tapping that puck like, give it back, give it back. Is what I've been seeing since I've been watching him. Uh, more closely as well. But he's also got Tockett. The guy's possibly confused because he doesn't want to play the Tockett game of the forecheck and certainly the back check. Maybe that's keeping him away from the blue paint. Is he actually in the offensive zone? I asked the question. Actually in the offensive zone and like, hey, what am I supposed to be doing here? So he's looking for a man to pick up. He doesn't pick up very many, but that's what it kind of looks like to me. He either doesn't isn't capable of playing the game talk at once or two, or some players just won't. I'm just not doing that. I'm the 39-goal scorer, and I am not a guy who is used to being on the fourth line and or the press box, mm-hmm. and I don't go in the corners. I'm the shooter, and Tockett wants him to play a different game. At times, he looks confused to me, but go to the blue paint when you can. Yeah, I do think... When it, when it, it the conversation is like, is he capable of playing a talking game or does he want to play a talking game? I would lean to more the capable side just because I, do, I don't think that's how he operates. And one thing I've kind of questioned over the last month or two is like, is Kuzmenko a fit on a winning team's top six on any winning team's top six? 
And like if you put him in Boston or you put him in Colorado, they'd probably give him a shot in the top six, but I don't know how long he's staying there because they have the same issue where you go to a team like that and they want you to buy into their structure and, and how they play, and I don't know if he's if he is capable of doing that. Though he is a very talented and skilled offensive forward, if you're going to get a lot of minutes in the playoffs or down the stretch mm. for a good team, you have to be able to buy into whatever the coach is selling regardless of if it's talking or if it's another coach on another good team otherwise you're going to be end up being the guy who yes can score a lot of goals can get a decent amount of points but you're going to be moving around teams because as soon as team starts winning they're not going to want you there very interesting yeah to see what will happen uh, assuming he sticks around the nhl long term as well what'll happen how many you do get those guys they play on seven or eight teams they're just sort of a fit on a team for a year or two Mm -hmm. but uh even on vancouver to your point yes is he a top six forward for the for a good nhl team well on vancouver he has not been capable of being a top six player. If you're not going to back check and you're not going to forecheck, you better find a way to score. You need something else for the coach to give him a reason to play. I'm supposed to have something now. More on Kuz Menko, by the way, I'm sure, as we go along because it's early. And he seems to be a topping point. Uh, how does this work, by the way? You go, we go back and forth? So I'm We just, can go back and forth. Okay, we went back We're just to talking you. about what happened. We really? went back to you. We're just talking about what happened. So we went back. Now we'll go forth. Canucks statistically, by the way, as you've mentioned already, tops of the league in points. I am uh, with Drance because I think it has to factor in what your winning percentage is. But hey, enjoy the moment on the top of the heap in points because it's both count. But if I'm looking at the Canucks and looking for some key moments and key points with this Vancouver, plus mine is right now, and I'm going to tie this into our Hughes, the question of our Hughes and Hronick slowing down a little bit. Because statistically, I guess they are. But plus minus when it comes to points. Plus minus, Hughes, number one in the league, plus 28. You would figure you're pulling the other guy along with you anyway. Heronik's a plus 23 right now. And he's number two in the league. So number one and two are Hughes and the guy he plays with. My question to you is, Hughes made Heronik better? Or is Heronik made Hughes better? Because what I've learned is these two guys are running top two. But I think they're also slowing down a little bit right now. I think they are slowing down. I I did some uh, reading on Philip Peronik, and one thing a lot of Red Wings people have said is that he often gets off to a hot start and then kind of tapers off as the season goes along. I don't know if that's something he'll fix in Vancouver, though I I agree with you. We've kind of seen a little bit of a drop-off as that pair has gotten deeper into the season. They're still elite, though. It's like the drop-off has gone from maybe the best pairing in the NHL to a pairing that's still pretty clearly a, a top pairing for a good team. Uh, in terms of who's bringing up who, I would lean Hughes. I still want to see Heronic with a different partner yeah. before you pay him a bunch of money. And we haven't seen that yet. <laughs> maybe it's something where you have to wait for a trade to happen to for the Canucks maybe to bring in another defenseman. We saw Ethan Bear sign in Washington today, by the way. Um but I, I really do want to see Heronic play with maybe it's Ian Cole before the Canucks commit to paying him on a long-term extension. Isn't that interesting topic, too? Because if you are Heronic right now, you've, you've won the lottery. You're playing with Hughes. I mean, it is your number one pair. Teams load up through the years with number one pairs uh, you know, throughout history. You see it. So you can take your two best defensemen and play them together. You can split them up, too, if you want. 
But I would, yeah, Hughes is pulling Hronik along, but boy, Hronik really accented Hughes' game so nicely early this year and continues to do so. I just find that Hronik's not quite the standout. I'm not noticing him as much as I did earlier this year. And I didn't know a lot about him before he got here. So, I mean, the guy got here and was, was injured, and you didn't know what you were going to see this year, and oh boy. But uh, very interesting point. If I'm the Canucks and I'm looking at having to pay this guy very soon, by the way, how much am I going to pay him? If you're Hronik, I've won the lottery. Leave me with Hughes. Leave me with Hughes. Leave me with Hughes. But if you're going to drop me lower down the lineup to try and see, and so far, half us, if you're, if you're talking to, hey, we're winning with the lineup, to, he's not concerned with how much guys are getting paid. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting Rutherford Alvin issue at the moment going, keep playing with him. But yeah, if I have to go to court and face you, I'm going to say it's because you were playing with Hughes, the reason your numbers are so high. And so maybe that helps, too, because maybe you're like, hey, you can point, to, if, you, if you're Rutherford or Alvin, you can point to it and say, you're playing with Hughes, that's why your numbers are so inflated. Whereas if he was putting up similar numbers or close to similar numbers while playing with Ian Cole, he would clearly be capable of uh, of being paid that much. But also, I think if you were the Canucks, you'd be more comfortable paying him that much because you know he can produce without Cole or without Hughes. Um, you and I, by the way, I wish I was playing with Hughes. Yeah, no, be, I'm pretty I'd sure be, I could get a few million. I'd be driving a nicer car. I'm right-handed too. <laughs> I can make it work. That autom- automatically gives you a chance. You're, I know you're already pretty I'm high there. up the depth chart. There. I should be like a third-pairing defenseman on any NHL team right now. True. By the way, what happened? Segwaying the Ethan Bear. I don't know what I'm going to do without Dolly Wall's daily Ethan Bear updates. On uh, Dottie and Dolly, because it was, and, I, and the Canucks were interested in him, but and that was a, a hot topic, but it was Ethan Bear, Ethan Bear, Ethan Bear, and I was just thinking, well, that's nice. He's your seven guy, I would say, in Vancouver, although maybe higher in Vancouver because he's the right-hand shot. Uh, but still, anyway, the Ethan Bear signing, as Josh has uh, told us into Washington this morning as well, what to do without Ethan Bear on the uh, on the back burner for the Canucks. If I'm looking at stats for Hironic, two goals, and it's just stats, two goals and 27 assists, but we've seen him play plus 23 this year. Last year, Detroit, nine goals and 29 assists. Previous year, five goals, 33 assists. So he's that 40-point guy or so. And in fact, to be accurate, the last two years in Detroit, he had 38 points each year. Uh, and he's at 29 points for Vancouver this year. If you want to just look at stats, Josh, you'd point... Back to your point, Hughes is pulling Hronik along, and that's not a shot at Hronik, but Hughes is the guy that, again, you and I could play with, maybe even A-Dog, and uh, we might put up 30 points as well. But right now, Hronik's looking at a career year, and then he's going to be an RFA. Mm-hmm. And I think it also says a lot about Hughes as well. Is his leveling up has also... like, And this isn't to discredit Hronik at all either, because I, because I think he's probably... Um, Outside of maybe Tanev, but I would probably put him ahead of Tanev. Like, Ronick is probably the best defenseman Hughes has had a long stretch with. And that that means something. But I also think Hughes has... We've seen such a leveling up in his game this year that... Yeah, it's a, it, it would be hard for any defenseman playing with him to not be putting up points. And that's kind of why I bring up Ethan Bear is um, because we saw how they played decently well down the stretch when they played together Hughes and Bear um, and the one thing I think the Canucks are going to miss and we were talking about it with Hironic maybe getting minutes with a different defensive partner is uh, without signing Ethan Bear because he's in Washington 
Um, that was a guy you could have potentially had with Hughes because you know they're comfortable together, and that would have freed up Hronik to maybe uh, play some minutes with Ian Cole, maybe Zadorov, someone else. Um, and that's just probably not an option the Canucks are going to have. But also, you're you have one of the best pairings in the league right now, and I just think Tockett probably wouldn't change yeah. it up because why would he? Yeah, well, a good fit, and Hronik's been a really good fit for Hughes, obviously as well. One thing Vancouver's done. Stayed very, very healthy, as Jim Rutherford was suggesting previous uh, to the season. If we're going to do something this year, just make the playoffs, frankly. We have to avoid key injuries. They've avoided key injuries. Lord, I don't want to see a reason from the injury variety that Hronick gets to play with somebody else. Do not want to see that. That would be unfortunate. Otherwise, somewhere along the line, you figure he's got to get a shift or two. Has he had a shift with anybody else? Have you done your shift? I'm I'm sure he has. (laughs) Maybe a couple. Maybe a couple. Maybe a couple. I haven't checked. Uh, and uh, do we go? I, if, fill me in. Do we go back and forth again? You got anything yeah, else? Yeah, so you still cooking? in terms of what happened, uh, we have options here. <laughs> I'll, I'll run options Good. by you. It's my first day. Uh, we could do. We could talk Seahawks. They're back in the playoff spot. We got World Junior talk as well. And uh, You give me options. Also, in the intro, I wanted to maybe touch on this at some point. The Detroit Pistons have oh. lost 27 in a row. That's a lot in a row. Is that that's, bad? That's well, it's not good. I it's would bad, say, right? the to put it in perspective, I saw they the raised stat. a banner for that. Yeah, raised a banner. Um, the last, so the Arizona Diamondbacks have won a game more recently than the Detroit Pistons, <laughs> which is insane. I just did, like it's it's impressive for a team to be this bad. I w- I had some friends that are in Windsor, Ontario, which is right across the bay there from uh, from Detroit, and they were tempted to go to that game because it's like they're witnessing history. That's I know it's not yeah. not the kind of history you want to witness, but they were tempted to just jump over to Detroit and, and see that game because that's that's some futility right there. It is nice to see. Now, and there have been other teams, but every time a big losing streak comes up, it takes me back to the Vancouver Grizzlies, who really knew how to lose. And the Grizzlies in their first season had a nine, had a 20-game, yeah, 20 19-20 game losing streak. They had a 23-game losing streak in their first year. They won their first two games, and I think they lost 19 in a row. So there might have been a couple other 20-game streaks in there. But 23 was the top for the – it was a long year, Josh. I don't know if you were here for that in 95, I don't 96. think I – no, I was, I was a few years away from being around. It was a long season. I was there courtside. It was a long season. But it was just cool to have them in town, but it yeah. was a long season. But uh, to have someone at least – more teams. Cleveland, Philadelphia, they had – lost 26 in a row. Uh, Cleveland did a nice 24-year-old run, too, uh, years ago. Detroit's lost 27, or 24 on previous occasions, so good on them to smash their own record. Yeah, but big it, win for them. That's the first oh, win of the last couple months. But it brings the Grizzlies back to mind as me, just, just how how bad they were, although we, we were thrilled to have them there, but how bad they were, and they just never got any better. But 27 in a row, that's tough to do. It's It's... Like it's almost really statistically impossible, uh, especially because their team is—they're not good, obviously. Um, but they shouldn't <laughs> be this bad. No team, sh- no team should be this bad. And the the tough part about it now, wow. and we saw it last night. The Brooklyn Nets went in and they were like, "Man, we can't lose this well, game." That's it. There's pressure yeah. on you coming in. Every Huge team is treating it like a game seven because you don't want to be the team that uh, loses. 
or yeah, yeah loses yeah. To loses the and Pistons. breaks a streak. Oh, huge by oh man. Had a guy real quick here just ahead of a break. Had a fellow that used to work as a pit boss in Vegas, and I bumped into my Vancouver Canadian days on the road somewhere, and he befriended me. He said, "Here's a way you if you want to win in Vegas." It was baseball wise, but he said, "If you get a five game losing streak, and the team that's lost five in a row has their ace going the next game, statistically speaking." So as well before stats were a big thing, frankly, bet on the losing the guys who've lost five in a row and have their ace to lose for whatever reason. It mm. seems to work that way, riding long streaks. Uh, bring, brings this to mind. If I had a team, I'm in Vegas, and the Pistons have lost 20 in a row, I'm going to bet on them to win to break that streak. And your four-day stays in Vegas, basically. And then if they lose their 21st, you, you double your bet up, and you mm-hmm. double your bet up, and you bet the mortgage. And then by the time I got home, I would have had to work at 7 in the morning, probably. <laughs> That's why you're here. To pay the bills. It doesn't work. You can jump in on our text line, two six fifty six fifty. the Dunbar Lumber text line. Three stores to serve you. Ladder, Bridge Street, uh, Express, the Express Ladder Center. They're at Arbutus, the flagship station of Vancouver, online at DunbarLumber.com. we get got a few people... Uh, cruising in the early mornings here of your Christmas week, just ahead of New Year's on the text inbox. You can hit us up there, and we're going to hit you up next with some NFL talk. We'll get into the Seahawks and others. Nick Shook, NFL.com coming up next. I'm Brooke. That's Josh. The dogs are here, too. This is Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tannehill steps up, looking, looking, gets hit, goes down at the 21-yard line. Boye Mafe, his second sack of the day, and there's the final timeout used by the Titans. Back-to-back, last-minute 20-17 victories for the Seahawks, who are in a playoff position as we speak. Brooke Ward with you, Josh Elliott, Wolf here too, A-Dog Laddie doing the damage in the background. And time now, Mr. Wolf, for Nick Shook from NFL.com. Yeah, uh, he'll be our Wednesday morning quarterback, brought to you by the Clayton Public House, pregame to postgame. The Clayton Public House is your home of football. Catch all the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors, theclaytonpub.com. And also, Halford and Bruff, brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler, pays the highest prices on scrap metal, North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid, 1170 Powell Street and the Delari family family of accurate dealers experience the Delori difference today. Visit your nearest Delori accurate dealer today. Nick Shook of NFL.com. Nick, buddy, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me on, guys. How are you? Oh, we're swell here. Christmas, you did well at Christmas. Did you haul in? How'd you do? Well, you know, we got a, a new pair of much-needed headphones for the gym and for everything else. I'm talking to you uh, on right now, so that's a big win in my book. Sweet, they sound clear. They sound brand new as well. Uh, nice job. Nice work. NFL, Seahawks, two in a row, last-minute wins, both by the same score, bizarrely enough, of 20-17, two different quarterbacks, and they're in a playoff position. Are you shocked, surprised, stunned, or what? Hmm. No, um, I'm not because, uh, look, this has been a weird year. Bottom line, like, this has been a weird year uh, across the entire league. And it's been a season in which we've had no no contenders, no favorites really jump out. So um, it has, 
nothing has come as a surprise to me at all. Uh, nothing at all. And, uh, and the way, I mean, we've seen uh, multiple teams kind of come back from what we appeared to be dead, you know, the season anyway. I mean, Denver's one of them. Um, you can think about the Browns and all the injuries that they've overcome. Um, there's a number of different teams that have joined this fray that we didn't expect to be there. Uh, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it finishes out because there's just no dominant team. There's no favorite. And uh, as we begin these last couple of weeks, there's still a lot of sorting out to be done. I hear you. Seahawks, by the way, hosting Pittsburgh this Sunday. They're Arizona on to finish up the year, the three and 12 cards on January 7th. There's in, in the NFC right now. So the Seahawks are seventh at eight and seven. They got a lot of company at seven and eight, Minnesota, Atlanta, Green Bay, New Orleans, all these teams around them. If, you were going to pick a team in there that could sneak in the seven and eight teams right now, Minnesota, Atlanta, Green Bay, New Orleans, who would you put your money on? Honestly, I feel like Green Bay is probably the one. Um, Atlanta, look, they're in the NFC South. That has been a division that has not wanted to sort itself out all year. Um, Atlanta doesn't even know who they are. Uh, They've changed their quarterback. I think, let's see, we went Ritter, Heineke, Ritter, Heineke, so – this would be the third significant change, uh, and it produced a win for them. And, and you know they're all feeling fine and dandy down there. But it was with Taylor Heineke and against the Colts team that you know had, and the, the Falcons' defense is good and carried them to that win, right? But that, I don't have any belief in them. I haven't had much belief in them for most of the year because they're just very up and down. Uh, Minnesota, I just feel like he's running out of steam. Uh, especially with their quarterback situation, Nick Mullins throwing four picks. I mean, he threw for you know 400 yards, but he also threw four picks. And I felt like I needed a nap after I watched that game. Uh, and I feel like uh, Green Bay is probably the one you know of that group that at least has been trending in the right direction for the long enough time, or long you know a long enough time. And uh, with a quarterback in Jordan Love, who I think is just starting to blossom, and the young guys around him, they're just starting to figure it out. I I look down the road even a couple of years from now, and I think, man, these pa- this Packers team is going to be very fun to watch. Now, a lot of it has to do with quarterback. So even if even if those teams do get in, it it's going to end up uh, in a matchup with either the Eagles or the Forty ers in the first round. How like what's your confidence level in those two teams right now? Because to me, like there's elements of pretender with both of them, but also they're they're so clearly uh, at the top of the NFC in terms of talent right now. The 49ers look like the runaway team in the NFL until Monday night, right? So um, I think that every team in this league is flawed, and so – I think the Eagles probably still have bigger flaws. The key is if you beat the 49ers, you got to jump out to a lead and, and hope that they don't come back because they're supposedly not really built to come back from deficits, which is an in, insane thing to say about a football team, yeah. considering how much scoring goes on in the NFL. The Eagles, they they don't scare me more. Um, I, I've watched them this whole year and thought, man, if they ever play a complete game, if they ever figure out how to put four quarters of good football together, watch out. And... They still haven't done it, and they definitely didn't do it in their uh, their little losing streak there. I don't know if they're ever going to do it. If they do figure it out, though, uh, they still are a scary team. It's just that, you know, look, we're running out of time for you to prove to me that you can do that. Uh, there's only so many weeks of this season. Obviously, we've got a couple left, and, and uh, you know, maybe they'll just never peak before it's too late. Um, so I guess I, between those two teams, if I wanted to face them, it would be – the Eagles, um, and then you mix the Detroit if they're still in the mix because we try to figure all this stuff out. Detroit also, um, 
like they their story's great, and when Jared Goff is on, it's really fun to watch. But they a number of things have to go right for them, or else they'll find themselves in a dogfight with a team that's probably not up to their caliber. I felt like of those three teams, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Detroit, the the Lions probably had the most fraud elements lurking within them that you know have surfaced from time to time this season. So if I if I was the Seahawks, I had to think about playing any of those three teams. I would probably want to play the Lions or the Eagles. Um, I, I think I would lean Eagles right now based on just what they've been through and the injury issues that, that Jalen Hurts has dealt with over the Lions, but I would feel okay with either of them. You mentioned the uh, Niners-Ravens game on Monday, and going into it, 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 a lot of the conversation was it's the uh, the MVP battle between Purdy and Lamar. Um, Lamar obviously had a much better game than uh, than Brock Purdy did, but do you think it should be down to those two for for MVP? Like for me, this if the, if you were going to give it to a non quarterback in any year, this kind of feels like the year to either give it to Christian McCaffrey or, or Tyree Kill, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think we absolutely must include those two um, if we're being completely honest. Um, there is, <laughs> I honestly think that. What, Dak Prescott had one bad game in Buffalo, and we completely forgot about him when he was going to be the leader, and I think nearing the clubhouse on the MVP race, and now it's just Purdy and Jackson. Like, it's it's a weird year. Like, I, I've done QB index every week, and I've had a hard time finding a quarterback who can stay atop QB index for more than a week or two because it's just been very up and down. Nobody has separated themselves from the pack, but I felt like Dak was trending in that direction until he had that game against Buffalo, which was abysmal, but... I mean, even in their game against Miami this past weekend, he was still solid. It just it wasn't quite good enough to win. If we hold them to the QB wins or a stat thing, which I don't think they're a stat, then, yeah, he's got a couple of tough L's that should knock him down a peg in this race. But Lamar has had a lot of games this year where he hasn't really had to carry them. Uh, they've, they've done it in a number of different ways. There was the Keaton Mitchell breakout game. There's, I mean, they, turned, they had five takeaways on Monday night. Yeah, he had a really good game on Monday night, but it hasn't been – Nearly every week he's carried them to victory. It's kind of been an interesting case study, really, in, in how, how many different ways can a football team win while also having a star quarterback on its team. That's been the Ravens this year. And then Brock Purdy, he had the three-game stretch against San Francisco. Where, or not against San Francisco. He had the three-game stretch in which the 49ers lost three games in a row, and he struggled throughout those. He, he took away McCaffrey for two and a half of those games. He took away Debo Samuel. You lost your left tackle for about a game and a half. And suddenly the guy looks you know, mortal, and, and he struggled. He also struggled significantly against Baltimore on Monday night, and that probably knocks it. If we're holding him to the same standard as we hold Dak Prescott, then Brock Purdy's got to come down about two steps uh, because of that game alone. So I am a big fan of going outside the quarterback realm. I think Christian McCaffrey's having a year that absolutely backs up the MVP race. It's a part of the Tyreek Hill got hurt for and missed a week because I think it would come down to those two, and we should actually toss all the quarterbacks out. Screw it. Why not? Forget the quarterbacks this year. Nobody's going to separate themselves. We got two elite players doing special things at running back and receiver. Why not just boil it down to those two guys? Um, I'm totally on board with that. But again, that's usually not how this thing works. So we're going to have to saddle up and figure out what's going to happen. Game still to play, right? Yeah, down the stretch. I'm with you, though. It doesn't have to always be a quarterback. What is going through the head of a of Purdy, do you think, now? The four picks the other night? I mean, late in the year, you got two more. Some guys rebound from that and go, boy, <clears throat> it's a total eye-opener. This is, was a good time to have it happen, Nick. And others may just go the other direction. But what's this guy made of? You know, it's. I felt really confident about the 49ers, and I felt really good about 
Brock Purdy because of how many times I've seen him this season with the rush bearing down on him. All, starting all the way back in week one in Pittsburgh, T.J. Watt coming after him, where he just sat back there, trusted his eyes, went through his progressions, and delivered the football on time. And I was shocked to not see him do that on Monday night. Hmm. Uh, against the Ravens, the defense, that's good, is ascending at this time of the year. But I didn't expect him to cause so many visual issues for him that he would end up you know, having such a terrible game. Now, every interception... You know, I think we should have earned and unearned inter- interceptions because, you know, you get a ball batted, it goes for a pick. Is that really on the quarterback? I don't know. But it's hard to disagree with four interceptions in which your offense basically goes in the tank and, you know, you give the other team the ability to build a big lead on the road and you neutralize your own home field advantage. Uh, I think that he's had a, a fantastic season in total. It has not come without the ups and downs. He had a similar experience in Cleveland earlier this season, uh, in way back in mid-October when the weather wasn't great and he lost a couple of guys and, and he just wasn't very good. He looked overmatched. He looked overmatched against good defenses this year. I think uh, you even look at Cincinnati game. Uh, that's another one. But, you know they, they lose and, and he just doesn't look that strong. He throws two picks. So maybe it's a, a case of he's going to be good against 75 to 80% of the league and the 20% with the really good defenses he still has to figure out. But I do think that he will bounce back because uh, this kid's tough. You know, he went through – he was in college for a long time. He, he's been through some adversity before. He shouldn't even be here. So I think he'll bounce back. And, and he's got a great opportunity against the Washington defense that can't stop a nosebleed lately. Great chance for him to – to bounce back too and show people what he's made of. Okay, I'm I'm slightly off the charts with this one, Nick, but I just got to get it in. Uh, way back when Jessica Simpson was dating Tony Romo and Dallas struggled, I believe people blamed Jessica. It's Jessica's fault, the distraction. So Kansas City, there's this Swift girl. Are people going to start blaming Taylor Swift for the fact that Kansas City's not doing as well as they would like? Oh, there will be some idiot out there that does. <laughs> but, uh, I, I don't see Travis and Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift taking a uh, bye week vacation to Cancun like Tony and Jessica once oh, did. Man. So I think that's the real genesis of uh, the consternation revolving around Jessica Simpson back in the day. Which, hey, man, good for you, Tony. It, and I hope you had, you know, you guys had a great time back in the day. And uh, he's obviously oh. gone on to, you know, marry someone else. He's got family. He's got a, a job. I don't know if the same's coming for Travis Kelsey, but he seems happy with Taylor Swift right now. And you know what the problem is? Taylor Swift can't suit up and catch passes because <laughs> the Chiefs need receivers. They don't have quality receivers. They have one and a half of them, and one of them's a rookie. They expected more out of this group than they're getting, and nobody's doing their job up to the level that Patrick Mahomes expects or should expect, really, considering how good of a player he is. And frustration uh, it's plentiful in Kansas City right now, and I don't know if they're going to figure it out in time because uh, they just don't have a number. Uh, uh, it's the Chiefs of old could hit you in every direction. That's what made them special. They could scheme up all kinds of crazy things. But when half of the offense isn't, you know, holding up its end of the bargain, can't even hang on to the football, uh, you, it limits what you can do. And I think that they're uh, they're headed toward a, a quieter postseason than we've become accustomed to seeing from them in a long time. It does feel like we're, we're kind of used to teams like the Chiefs, and we've seen the Chiefs do it, where they have these struggles in the regular season, but then they just turn it on in the playoffs because that's what they do. But it it does feel like the to do that this time around. Yeah, you know, the, the big issue with them two years ago was they struggled significantly in the first half of the season, 
which gave everybody the opportunity to go, oh, the Chiefs are toast, they're dead. We're going to have somebody else that's going to rule the AFC this year. And ultimately, the Bengals did go to the Super Bowl that year. But they had time in the back half of the season to figure it out. They also still had more talent on that team than they do now. They don't have a Tyreek Hill. They don't even have a Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, they were relying on the likes of, you know, Rasheed Rice is actually having a very good rookie year. Kadarius Tony, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, um, you know, you keep going down the list. And it's it's not helping them that, you know, Mahomes likes to do things out of structure and and these guys don't fit that because they're just not as talented and not as capable. You know, Mahomes makes a ton of money, deservedly so. But I think that he also should have in his contract somewhere a demand or at least a, a, an expectation that the Chiefs are going to find him a number one receiver because it helps out from there on out. You know, they, they, they're relying on a guy like Rice. They're also trying to rely on a guy like Sky Moore, who they selected out of the MAC a couple of years ago, who has, you know, has talent but just hasn't really put it together. Um, this is what you have to do to stay competitive when you pay your quarterback so much money. And they're paying for it right now because those picks and, and the things that they thought they'd buy low and, and be able to sell high on are just not coming through. So I don't know if it's the, the underdog aspect of it, but is it wrong for me to feel more confident in the Buffalo Bills right now than I than I have in previous seasons as they head into the playoffs? No, it's not wrong at all because we almost left them for dead a few weeks ago. The Bills heard that and said, nah, not yet, not yet. We've still got a month left. We're coming back. We're going to show you who we are. I was a little nervous watching that charge that Chargers game because they really shouldn't have been that in that close of a game, but they got the job done. Playing quality football. Uh, it's interesting what happens when you put a team with their put their back up against a wall. Uh, there's you know a number of different terms for it, wounded animal mode. What comes out? Well, adrenaline comes out, desperation comes out. They'll be willing to do anything to try to get back in the fight, and uh, that's what the Bills have done so far. I, my only question is, does it run out? Because that game against the Chargers kind of indicated to me that, uh, I don't know, man, Like you're fighting this hard just to get back above water. Can you can you actually swim when the time comes more than just tread water? Uh, we'll see down these last two weeks how they look. But, I mean, talk about – I didn't play the Patriots, so I guess that's not the, <laughs> the toughest thing. But then they got that Dolphins game, which could uh, go towards settling a lot. And, uh, you know, are the Dolphins resting that game? Are they trying to potentially knock the Bills out of the playoffs or give them a worse seat? Are they trying to beat them just for a rematch the next week? A number of different things could happen. Um, I would feel more confident in them now because they are, they're ascending, I think. I just wonder if they're going to run out of gas by the time the playoffs come. I'll let you go on this one, Nick. And, again, I'm kind of uh, off and left field on this one, which is I've become accustomed to, and so have you probably with me so far in the last 20 minutes. The NFL tush-push. I'll even go around. I hate the tush push. I'd like to see them outlaw it. It just, I don't find it in the spirit of the game. It just, I don't know. It's just a weird thing. What do you think about the tush push? And will the league be investigating and doing something about it or will they allow it to continue? I like how um, firm you are in this belief. But <laughs> you don't like it. It's not, it's not part of the game. I get that. Uh, I also think that a beautiful part of football is the ability to draw up some outrageous things and when it comes to fruition it all works out and then you force the rest of the league to try to find a counter to it and then they they try to copy it and then different variations come out of it and you line up like you're going to touch push and then they run a little sweep around the left side <laughs> it's almost like football has gone full circle because is that not what football looked like 
in its earliest days before the forward pass, back when it was just a cousin of rugby and everybody was, they were breaking their noses and they had to form the NCAA just because college football players kept dying on the field because it was such a brutal sport. Is this not football that you have to, that this team has figured out how to get an advantage on a play and has forced every other team to figure out how to stop it. Some have, some can't pull it off as well. Some are unstoppable like the Eagles. But last time I checked, you can't tush push your way all the way down the field, at least not to my knowledge. I haven't seen it done yet. So I think it's fine, but it may, that probably won't get eliminated based on what Troy Vincent said when they talked about it a a few weeks ago um, at the annual or the the NFL winter meeting. Um, It sounds like they said, hey, look, the Eagles figured out how to do it well. Some teams have followed them. Try to stop it. It's not our fault. You can't stop it. So I think it's here to stay uh, as much as it irritates people. I really enjoyed teams that line up to try to do it and fail because then I'm like, see, it's not as simple as just pushing somebody. There is some execution required. You do have to have a center who's willing to put his face mask in the dirt and just dive forward. Uh, I think it's fun. I, I, I like the creativity. Anything that pushes the game forward, even if it has a bit of a throwback feel, I'm all for it. I have not seen, as you said, the 99-yard tush-push. I'm waiting I'm waiting for the 99-yard tush-push play. It hasn't happened it. yet. But uh, but I like your what you say, too, about, hey, fake. You're going to fake the tush-push now. Okay, that adds an element. But uh, I'm wagering that the NFL is going to get around and figure it's an unstoppable play from the one or the two, and they're probably not going to like that. So we'll see, though, buddy. I'm glad you had appreciation. Your headphones are working great. Merry Christmas to those headphones, and we thank you for joining us, Nick. Appreciate it, my brother. Well, Merry Christmas to you guys as well. I look forward to doing it again. I got to get some headphones. I got to get some headphones. Happy New Year, pal. All right. You too. Thank you. Nick Shuck, NFL.com. Tush Push, which is what uh, one of the nicknames Josh Elliott has, too. I'm not allowed to tell you why. It's from high school. It's from high school. Yeah. There were some parties. There was alcohol involved. He was the king of the 99-yard Tush Push. Yeah. You want to see a 99-yard Tush Push? I'll show you a 99-yard Tush Push. show you it, man. But it had different connotations back then, certainly. But... The tush push, are you, you... I'm a fan of it. I was surprised that you... Uh, yeah. like, why, like, why would you be a fan? Even Nick, I didn't want to bust him. Why would you be a fan of it? So, he, here's the thing. It's I'm not, a, an exciting, not an exciting play. No, but it's so it's so impressive to me. Because I'm a Vikings fan. And so la- last week, the Vikings tried twice to run a tush push. And both times they failed. Because they don't have Jalen Hurts, and they don't have Jason Kelsey, and they don't have these huge tight ends that can just push them forward and i think if you're able to execute it properly like i i agree you should if you're the other team just stop it because theoretically there shouldn't be an unstoppable play in the nfl and if if you let them get to the one and you know this team is going to run this play every time you got to figure out a way to at least minimize the damage unless that if that in a hurry, then you can leave the tush push in. But if it doesn't happen in a hurry, I believe the league will outlaw it because the game to me, as the purist, the game to me is you pass the ball, you catch the ball, you run the ball. I'm not pushing a receiver down the field, legal or not. You're at the one-yard line, you run the ball in. It's up to my offensive line to make holes to run it in. It's kind of like high school uh, kind of a play where, okay, I'm going to or schoolyard type of play where I'm going to push you from behind to get you in, and me, that's not in the spirit of the game. You're supposed to run it in. And in an equation I'll draw to you is when the uh, if someone's trying to field goal, trying to kick, you're not allowed to jump up on the offensive line 
And the players that, as a, such as a center, you're not allowed to jump up at the center and push yourself up. Why? Well, because it's not in the spirit of the game. It's not hurting the center. But no, you can't climb up on the player. As an example, that was outlawed. And many people could have said, what's wrong with that? Let's try and stop it. And I think that's what's going to come down to. When someone's on the one, I don't want to know they're going to score for sure. That's fair. And if you feel with the tush push you're going to score for sure, then I think the NFL... Like you get down to the one yard line, I can I can click on Gilligan's Island now because I know well they're just push pushing it. I'll come back for the for the kickoff that goes through the end zone with no return. That's just my thoughts of what the tush push is. I want to know that I, I don't want to know your automatic score. Otherwise, you may, might as well make the field ninety nine yards long instead of a hundred. I do think someone's going to get hurt at some point, and that's when they'll. Some quarterback, it. they'll stop. If you had Mahomes or Hurd or whoever it is, I mean, you, not that the slighter quarterbacks do it, but eventually there'll be, an, if it lasts long enough, you're bang on. There'll be a key injury to a key quarterback that got jammed in and pushed from behind in the pile and some back injury or something, and people say, whoa, I can't risk my quarterback. Same way as my quarterback slides. I can't risk the slide So, uh, or, or the lack of a slide. So I think eventually something will shake down there. Our text line, the inbox 650-650, surprisingly quiet here in the Christmas week so far. Got a few people coming in. We'll chime in on that. Dunbar Lumber, they are the presenters of our text line. Let us know what you're up to. That was Nick Shook. We're going to come back, talk more about the Canucks. I, I, we might give you a break on the tush push the rest of the way, but you never know. The Canucks, the Hawks, and many more things coming up. I'm Brooke Ward. John Wolf is riding shotgun. The dogs are here. There's an A-dog. There's a laddie here. We're all here. Everyone's here except for Halford and Bruff. This is the Halford and Bruff Show. This is Sportsnet 650.